Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we talk about the seemingly unreasonable things that God asks of Ezekiel. We often feel the same way. What he's suggesting seems unfair or beyond our capacity. Do all of the requests of God have a point and a purpose? How does Ezekiel respond to God's call, and how should we? God doesn't exist to make people comfortable. In fact, following him often adds a unique set of difficulties to our daily lives. But faithfulness is always worth it in the end. Well, I've entitled today's message, When God Makes Unreasonable Requests. And we're going to look at things still in this uh, exile and return time period, starting with Ezekiel, where God asks some guys to do some pretty crazy things. So let's just uh, turn to Ezekiel. Now, while you're turning there, I'll just remind you that Ezekiel is a prophet to the, uh, and he's, he's in the suburban area of Babylon. There's, there's obviously good courier service, though, because uh, the people are reading the messages back and forth. So his message gets to Jerusalem as well. Um, Daniel is actually in the city of Babylon. He's in the administration. And Jeremiah stays back in Jerusalem the whole time. So these three guys are all prophesying during this same time period, warning the nation to turn back and then giving encouragement to the nation after the, after the destruction of Jerusalem uh, that there'll be a return and a restoration. We looked at the real uh, overt way in which God makes the point that actions have consequences. Now, we saw this in Ezekiel 3 when God called Ezekiel in the first place. If you look at it, Ezekiel 3, chapter, uh, ch- sorry, verse 16, it says, Now it came to pass at the end of seven days the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, You shall surely die, and you give him no warning, no speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood... I will require at your hand. So the consequences of sin goes to the one who, um, who commits the sin. And yet, the responsibility is going to be laid on Ezekiel if he doesn't warn them. Last week we looked at a proverb in 18, chapter 18, and talked about don't say this proverb in Israel anymore that the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. A father's not going to be responsible for the choices of his son and a son's not responsible for the choices of his father. Everyone's responsible for their own choices. And we didn't go through this passage, but this is a great way to review the passage and make an additional point in verse 19. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 19. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Here's the answer. Because the son has done what's lawful and right and has kept all the statutes and deserved them, he surely live. Everybody's responsible for their own choices. The soul who sins shall die. 
The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And again here, death sometimes is literal. That's what's a, that's what happens in the exile. A lot of people die physically. But obviously during this time period, people are having kids and raising children and so forth. And you know, life and death is a concept in the Old Testament that has to do with the consequence of blessing or cursing in the fruit of your life. Verse, uh, verse 20, The soul whose sins shall die, the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. The wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from his sins, which he's committed, keeps my statutes, does what's lawful and right, he'll live. So you've got a, a wicked person, and they're, they're bearing the fruit of wickedness, and they're building up death for themselves. They're experiencing death. They're, they're building up uh, consequences of death for themselves in the future, and suddenly they decide, I don't, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to turn to righteousness. It wipes away the fruit of, of uh, wickedness and replaces it with the fruit of righteousness. This reminds us of Hebrews where he says, Today's the day to repent. Now, this next one, um, well, let me go on to verse 22. None of the transgressions which he's committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he's done. He'll live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his way and live? So God, God doesn't have any pleasure in sin. He's not glad because people are having to uh, bear the consequences of their sin, including death. That doesn't make God happy. And then this verse 24 is something I actually think about quite often. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations a wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness which he is guilty. Just think about it. Just think about your life. Let's say um, that uh, doctor, our doctor here, friends, decided uh, they just wanted to start doing witch doctor po- uh, potions for people. Uh, do you think that would have any consequences to their medical practice? I think it would, and probably something you couldn't recover from. Uh, The more you go in life and the more uh, influence you have for the good, the greater the fall potential is if you you screw up. And that's, I, I think about that often. You know, there's this myth that our flesh gets better and better, and it's just wrong. The flesh never improves any. There's nothing in the scripture about reforming the flesh. It's crucifying daily the flesh. Okay, so that's where we've come from. So today I'm going to start with the unreasonable demands of God. And we're going to start with uh, Ezekiel. And we're going to start with lay on your side for a year. Okay, so let's go back to chapter 4. So here's after after Ezekiel's gotten this very strong... Uh, strict charge. I'm going to hold you accountable if you don't do what I ask you to do. And by the way, people aren't going to listen. And don't pay any attention if they don't listen. I just want you to tell them anyway. Okay, chapter 4. You also, son of man, take a clay tablet and lay it before you and portray on a city Jerusalem. 
Lay siege against it. Build a siege wall against it. Heap up a mound against it. Set camps against it also and place battering rams against it all down. So you can, you can visualize in your mind here a Lego set, you know, where the kids build a little castle and have all the men and all that kind of stuff. He's building a little scene here for the people to see. Moreover, take for yourself an iron plate and set it as an iron wall between you and the city. Set your face against it. And it shall be besieged, and you shall lay siege against it. This will be a sign to the house of Israel. So we've got a drama going on here. Lie also on your left side, and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of days you shall lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. I have laid on you the years of their iniquity, according to the number of the days, 390 days. So I want you to make this a little scene, put an iron plate up, and then lay on your left side for 90 days on one side of the iron plate to show that you're bearing the iniquity of the uh, children of Israel. How does that make you? Is that, is that exciting that you're going to get that great ministry? And then kind of what the sense you get as you go through this book is people walk by and say, what are you doing? And he tells them, this is, this is what the message is. And there's this probably kind of spattering of... Uh, have you seen what Ezekiel's doing? Like, what's he doing now? See the crazy guy. Now, it doesn't say here if he lies all day, all night, exactly how this works. But it doesn't sound like much fun to me. And when you've uh, completed them, lie again on your right side. So after the 390 days on your left side, you get to lay on your right side for 40 days. Uh, and this is the house of Judah, 40 days. I've laid on you for a day for each year. Now... The commentators are not sure what these uh, day, which which years these days represent. There's all kinds of theories. The um, but that's not the main point of the of this. Is the main point I want to focus on here is just God asked these guys to do some pretty crazy things. He goes on in verse nine. He says, "Take for yourself wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, spelt. Put them into one vessel." And make bread for them for yourselves during the number of days you lie on your side, 390 days you shall eat it. And your food which you eat shall be by weight 20 shekels a day from time to time you shall eat it. And this is like a, a, a ration that, uh, that you would have in a siege. Okay. So while, while you're lying on your side for 390 days, I want you to eat a starvation diet. Verse 11, you shall drink water by measure, one-sixth of a hen. From time to time you shall drink. So you get a starvation uh, allocation of water as well. And let's see, and you shall eat, verse 12, you shall eat it as barley cakes, bake it using fuel of human waste in their sight. And why would you use human waste? Well, what's the little scene that he's reenacting? The siege, yeah, there's no fuel in the city, so they start using human waste as fuel. Now, at this point, uh, and Ezekiel's just sitting there, okay, okay, I'll do that, I'll do that. And then he says, ah, Lord God, indeed, I've never defiled myself from my youth till now. Remember, Ezekiel's a priest. I've never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beast or has been abominable uh, flesh come into my mouth. He said, okay. I'll give you cow dung instead of human waste. You prepare your bread over that. We'll compromise on that one. So you got all these crazy requests, and he says, I don't have to use human waste? Oh, you can use cow dung. It's okay. It'll be... It's pretty crazy, don't you think? Uh, one of the things that God asks him to do, he, he has this, 
he asked him to uh, be dumb for I mean he can't talk and he says I'll help you out by paralyzing your mouth except when I want you to talk I'll help you out oh thanks really appreciate that (laughs) second thing that God asked him to do we'll start in chapter 5 we'll call it chop off your hair and burn it so we got uh, lay on your side for a year, chop off your hair and burn it. You son of man, take a sharp sword, take it as a barber's razor. So, so now we're gonna we're gonna cut, but we're not gonna cut with scissors. We're gonna cut with a sword and pass it over your head and your beard. Okay, so here we are. We're gonna have a public shaving using a sword, and he's gonna do it himself. You get the picture. So pass it over your beard and, and, and hair and, and then take scales and weigh it and, and divide it up by weight. And then burn with fire one-third in the midst of the city. So I want you to you know, take your hair, divvy it up into three parcels here. Take one parcel, take it in the middle of the city and set it on fire. Then take a third and strike it around with the sword. So the other third, I want you to go around and throw a little up and whack it, and then throw a little up and whack it, and throw a little up and whack it. It's all these dramas that, that God has uh, Ezekiel doing. And the other third, just scatter it in the wind. Can, now, can you imagine what people are saying with this? <laughs> Maybe this is why Ezekiel's not mentioned anywhere else in the Scripture. <laughs> You shall also take a small number of them and bind them in the edge of your garment. Then take some of them again and throw them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire. From there, a fire will go out into all the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I've set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. She's rebelled against my judgments by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries that are around her, for they've refused my judgments. They've not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you've multiplied disobedience more than the nations around you, not walked in my statutes, nor kept my judgments, nor even done according to the judgments of nations around you, therefore, says the Lord, I'm against you, and I'll execute judgments in your midst in the sight of the nations, and I'll do among you what I've never done, and the like of which I'll never do again because of your abominations. Therefore, fathers shall eat their sons in your midst, and sons shall eat their fathers, and I will execute judgments among you and scatter the remains to the winds. Verse 12, one-third of you shall die of pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. One-third will fall by the sword around you, and I will scatter the other third to the winds. So he's, he's doing a drama using his own hair. A third are going to die. That's the fire. A third are going to, I'm sorry, going to by pestilence. That's the, the fire. And then a third by the sword. And then a third gets scattered to the wind. It's pretty crazy. Let's look at uh, 817. He said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? For they filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me with anger. See, it's not just that these abominations are some sort of uh, religious practice or something. What sin always results in is trying to control other people. 
and gain our own way. And that always ends up in coercive violence of some kind. And so what God wants is harmony. What he wants is life-giving cooperation among people. And that doesn't happen when people are sinning. Look at 9.9. Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land's full of bloodshed. The city's full of perversity, for they say, The Lord has forsaken the land, the Lord does not see. And as for me, I said, My eye will neither spare nor will I have pity, because these people have done what's wrong. In multiple places, uh, he says, Hey, you, you say that I'm not fair, that God is saying, Hey, what, you're, you're not fair, and God says about, in return, Is it really me that's not fair? It's actually you that's not fair. Because what God does is he sets up consequences. He's very faithful for them to be carried out. So we got uh, the unreasonable request, number one, uh, lay on your side for a year. Uh, Unreasonable request, number two, chop off your hair and burn it. Um, Unreasonable request, number three, I'm going to have your wife die and I don't want you to be sad. Chapter 24, verse 15. Ezekiel 24, verse 15. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes, that's his wife, with one stroke. Yet you shall neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh in silence. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips. Do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died, and the next morning I did as I was commanded. And the people said to me, What are you doing this for? And I said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Speak to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will profane my sanctuary, your arrogant boast, the desire of your eyes, the delight of your soul, and your sons and daughters who you left behind shall fall by the sword, and you shall do as I have done. You will not cover your lips, nor eat man's bread of sorrow. Your turbans will be on your head, your sandals on your feet, and you will not mourn or weep, but you'll pine away in your iniquities. You'll be so hungry and so starved, and there'll be so much of it, you won't be able to really mourn. So unreasonable request number three is I'm going to have your wife die. Now, actually, uh, with, with all that's going on, that might have been a tremendous blessing for the wife because there's immense suffering coming. But he actually asks Ezekiel here, I want you, I'm going to, I'm going to tell, he tells him in the morning, I'm, I'm going to have your wife die, and I don't want you to mourn. Let's look at uh, chapter 33. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man... Speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword on a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming on the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but didn't take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, 
He's taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will require the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I've made you a watchman. So after he's made all these unreasonable requests, this is the same thing he told them to begin with. Now we've got a reminder in here. I don't ever see any place in here where God gives Ezekiel a hug, you know. He does that to Jeremiah a few times. Jeremiah says, I, I can't do this anymore. And God, yeah, you, yeah, you can. Come on, you just hang in there, guy. But he, he's giving him the same. I, it's all just consequences. I'm expecting you to step up and do this. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I'll require at your hand. I'm holding you responsible. You're accountable for this, Ezekiel. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he'll die in his iniquity, but you've delivered your life. Therefore, you son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn! Turn from your evil ways. Why should you die, house of Israel? Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the children of the people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of transgression. As for the day of the wicked, he shall not fall. Because of it, the day he turns from his wickedness, shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day of sins. When I say the righteous, he'll surely live. But he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity by trusting his own righteousness. None of his righteous works will be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he's committed, he'll die. Again, when I say to the wicked, you'll surely die if he turns from his sin and does what's lawful and right. If the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he's stolen, walks in the statutes of his life without committing iniquity, he'll live. He'll not die. None of his sins which he's committed will be remembered against him. He's done what's lawful and right. He'll surely live. Yet the children of your people say the way of the Lord's not fair. But it's their way that's not fair. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he'll die because of it. Verse 20, Yet you say, The way of the Lord's not fair, O house of Israel. I'll judge every one of you according to your own ways. See this dichotomy here? Remember in Jeremiah, at the end, when Jeremiah's in Jerusalem, and the people, after they've seen uh, Jeremiah's prophecies be absolutely accurate, absolutely true, right down to the last detail, and Jeremiah's main message has been, honor your word to the Babylonians and this will all be okay. Trust in Egypt and you're going to get absolutely blasted. They trust in Egypt, they get blasted. And the people come to Jeremiah and say, we're going to go to Egypt now. We're afraid of the Babylonians. And he said, haven't you been paying attention? Just do what the Babylonians say now. No, no, we're not, we're not going to pay attention to you. He says, you, you didn't come to listen to me. You came to try to get me to agree with you. Why won't you listen to what God says? And they answer and say, well, because when we sacrificed to the queen of heaven, we had plenty of bread and water and our crops were good. But when we started trusting in God, all this happened. He said, you idiots. It's exactly the opposite. When you started falling away from God's when all this stuff happened, aren't you paying attention? Well, it's the same kind of thing here. The perspective of the people is, well, God's just not very fair. He, he should do things our way. He shouldn't make all these unreasonable requests. He should, he should make us comfortable. He should, he should do things our way. Well, that's not the way God operates. 
This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening. 